So we are in Joshua, Lesson 7. Oh, thank you. I can see. Okay, Joshua, as we learned in our study, Yahweh is salvation. I looked it up. It actually means he is. He is. And the significance of that word Yahweh is that it is confirming God's existence, but more importantly, his presence in our lives. And so I love that I have Yahweh over, overseeing everything I do, watching over me, caring about me, loving me. And so Yahweh is salvation. Let's open in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so excited to see what you have for us this morning. Um, in this story of Joshua, so many um, faithful things Joshua did. And there are a few failures, Lord, that we can all learn from. But um, I just love your word and how it can be applied to each one of our lives. So we ask that you do apply it to each one of us as we study your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses has died. Um, no doubt the people are a little scared, like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? I mean, that happens anytime a country loses a leader, you, you feel unrest. And so they're a little nervous. And... Um, they're uh, not sure what God has in store for them, but of course, God always has a plan. And that plan is Joshua. And I love Joshua 1.9. It says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Yahweh is with you. God's presence is with you. And our new leadership is Joshua. And Joshua was one of the two original spies that originally went to the prom- went into the promised land, spied out the land. He, uh, Moses had sent out 12, and I'll read this scripture. It's found in Numbers 13:26. It says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Have you ever seen that illustration, you know, of this big old bunch of grapes, you know, hanging from, I mean, I've seen illustrations in Bibles and things of, of Joshua and Caleb carrying all this fruit back and just showing how rich and um, productive the land is. And they wanted to find out exactly what they were in for. Why Moses sent the spies, I have no idea. God said, take it. But Moses felt, well, I want to check it out first, you know, before I move the people in there. You know, we've kind of had a rough road here. I don't want to jump into anything. So, you know, uh, Moses sent out the spies. Only two came back with a positive, positive um, uh, scenario where they could go in. And so the other ten, as we will read, and then he told them when we... We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land to the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, a lot of ites, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So there's a lot of people living there. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Caleb really had faith. But the men who had come 
who had gone up with him said, Oh, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And so we are in their sight. So when the children of Israel were supposed to go into the promised land, they got afraid. And so that is why God says, you know what? You guys don't deserve it. I told you it was your land. You were supposed to go possess it. So now you have to wander in the desert for 40 years. 40 years until that generation dies out. The unfaithful generation, the same generation that God had shown miracle after miracle after miracle to. He says, you know what? I'm done. You don't get to go into the promised land. So, you know, that's a great lesson for us, isn't it? You know, we need to be faithful when God says, I have given you this. Take it. And if we keep saying, oh, I'm not sure. I'm uneasy. I'm scared. You know, finally God's going to say, you know what? I'll give it to somebody else. And then you've missed out on the blessing, haven't you? So now we have this new generation. And they want to follow God. And so Joshua sent two spies. They're now sitting, you know, if you have our scene here. They are now sitting on the banks of the Jordan. And they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And Joshua sends out his two spies. And they go to the town of Jericho. And um, there they met Rahab. Poor Rahab. She will always be known as Rahab the harlot. Um, but she also did other things. She was also a weaver of, uh, of linens and things like that. So she was kind of like, she, she, did, she was an entrepreneur. You know. So anyway, she was, um, <laughs> she was very wise. Um, and from our study, we learned that she had heard of the Israelites and all that they had done in past battles. That 40 years under the direction of Moses... They knew that they had gone to battle and, you know, we learned this in our last two studies that, you know, they had great victories because God went before them. And word had gotten back to the people in Jericho saying they're headed this way. You know, they'd probably been expecting them for a year thinking that the Israelites were coming. And so um, she knew which side she wanted to be on, didn't she? She goes, you know what? I don't want to be on the, the, the losing side here because I have heard what God does. And it must have been, you know, even then God was probably speaking to her. And she was giving a choice, just like we are all given choices. You know, will I follow God? Will I believe him or not? And all those choices have consequences. And sometimes those consequences have good outcomes. Sometimes they have uh, negative consequences. Disobedience always gives us negative consequences, don't they? And so had she uh, been disobedient, she would have died with the rest of the folks in Jericho. But... Early Christians um, were killed, you know, to show you what kind of uh, consequences there are. Early Christians um, were oftentimes killed for their faith. And so that was one of those things where it was a negative consequence, but God clearly wanted them to confess him. And so, of course, they have a, a crown in heaven. Oh, poor baby. So, um, in the case of Rahab, she may have been arrested for helping the two spies. But she was pretty smart. You remember what she did? 
she told them to hide on the roof, and then she tells the, the soldiers when they come, because they had heard that Rahab had visitors, and so they run to Rahab's, and they go, where are they, where are they? Well, unbeknownst to them, she had hidden them up on the roof, and then she tells the that the soldiers, you know what, they just left. You just missed them. And they ran out the gate, and if you hurry up, you could catch them. And so, you know, they're going, oh, okay, okay. And they all run out the gate, and so the gates closed behind the soldiers. Um, it doesn't say whatever happened to the poor soldiers. Poor them, hey, you know, what's going on here? But anyway, they closed the gate. They shut up the city so that um, the Israelites couldn't get in. And so she had hid them. And in return, all she asked was that her family be saved. In in chapter 2, verse 14 of Joshua, it says, So the men answered her when she says, I just want my family to be saved. When the Israelites come and attack Jericho, save my family. And um, the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours... And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Their word was their bonds. They were being honorable here. And so the two spies uh, told her to put a scarlet rope and hang it in her window. And when the invasion began, Rahab and her family would be spared because the soldiers will, uh, the Israelites will all be told they're supposed to be, you know, the one house that's got the scarlet cord hanging from the window don't attack that house. And so the scarlet thread is an interesting concept, and it runs throughout the whole Bible. It's like woven. And what that is, is that is that, that salvation that God has given us through his blood. Scarlet is red. The blood is red. And so it is one, um, one of those, those points to Jesus. And so... Um, Wherever there is sacrifice, there's salvation, isn't there? And so the uh, Israelites during Passover, what did they have to do? They had to slaughter the perfect lamb. They had to put the blood over the door on the sides of the post. And so um, this they would have to do um, in order for God to pass over them. So um, so anyway, the spies reported back to Joshua and Joshua takes it to the Lord. He says, okay, what do we do? You know, I've sent my two spies out. I've got the information. Here you go, God. And that's very important to do. You know, even though you might have all the information you need, it's important that you go to the Lord and say, okay, here are the facts, Lord. What do you want me to do? Not, I'm analyzing this, and it's, you know, I've got my, uh, uh, my spreadsheet here, and it says that I can do this, 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 and this, so this must be the right answer. No, God says, come to me. I don't, you've got all the information. I want you to come to me, and I want you to um, ask what I want to do, what my plan is. And so they're supposed to take steps. And God set these steps before them, and that's very hard for me. I like to have the whole plan. You know, I'm one of those where, I, okay, I, got, I want to see step 1 through 15, all at once because I know what I need to prepare for. Okay? But God sometimes says, okay, step one. It's like, just kill me already. Okay, okay, one step. All right, I'll do the one step. And then after you're done with that step, God will reveal the next step. And so that's what he's doing with the children of Israel here in Joshua. 
So the first step was coming to the Jordan River. Okay, so I have been to the Jordan River, and, and even now it is very, it's fairly wide, and it's very deep, and it's kind of fast. So it would be like you've got a million people, and you need to cross over the Mississippi. Is that even possible? There's no bridges. There's nothing like that. So you're going, okay, we've got animals. We've got children. We've got wagons. You know, we've got all this stuff. How are we going to get across the Jordan River? Well, God says, what? You know, I did it already at the Red Sea. Just step out in faith. So the first people to cross were the priest with the ark. And so the minute they step on the water, the river parts. And the whole group passes over. The whole group passes over the Red Sea on dry land, again, just like on the Red Sea. And so um, they all get across, and then God says, you know, you're kind of wondering, why does he do this? But God has a purpose for everything. Even though it might seem a little foolish to us, God always has a purpose. So the second step was what? Collect rocks. Okay, I love rocks. Um, It's it's kind of a joke whenever we have a, a... a rock that rolls down onto the road, you know, and it's usually like these huge things. I always ask Jeff to to pick it up and put it in the back of the car, you know. Oh, but it's perfect. I have just the place for it in my garden, you know, and he goes, yeah, right, you know. I mean, these things must weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Sometimes, though, if it's it's small enough, you will attempt it. And so, you know, what a guy. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but I love to collect rocks. In this case, they were supposed to collect 12 rocks, each representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they were going to pile them. Joshua put them in a pile. Now, I really don't know if that pile is still there. I mean, that's kind of an interesting, that's something I need to check out. I think that would be really cool if the pile was still there. But, you know, what? things get moved, you know. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But anyway, um, and it's good to remember the reason why he wanted them to pile the rocks is this was a memorial of what the Lord had done. That he had parted the Jordan and that, that he had taken them the first step to them um, taking and possessing the, the, the promised land. And so it's, it's so important to always remember what God has done in the past for us. Ways that he has rescued us. Ways he, he has comforted us and we need to go back and remember those if you have to put them on a post-it note put them on your mirror you know just victories that you have overcome where God has miraculously saved you and so um, I'm always remembered um, I used to have this little kitty her name was Jenny and Jenny traveled I mean she even traveled to Europe with me you know Um, Shirley understands love of kitties she loves kitties too and um Anyway, I had had her for many, many, many years. And then we had Brandon when she was in her old age. And Brandon, being a typical uh, uh, toddler, was not kind, you know, to this poor thing. You know, he he just, you know, babies grab. Okay, so Brandon's, you know, Brandon wasn't even walking yet, you know. And he would, you know, he would grab the kitties because they're fluffy and he'd pull their tails and their ears and... So she wasn't real fond of Brandon, and whenever she saw him, she would run. 
you know, and I couldn't say that I blamed her, you know. And so we would have our moments when Brandon, if Brandon ever took a nap, you know, she would come and she would jump on my lap. And, you know, we would have, you know, mommy kitty time. But anyway, needless to say, I really loved this cat. And so um, she was the sweetest thing in the world, absolutely gorgeous. She, she was a Berman, if you know what that is. Uh, it, it looks, it's like a, it's almost like a Himalayan, but shorter fur. And she had the biggest, most beautiful blue eyes. And she would look at you like, oh, anyway. So one day I was, I was laying in bed. And we would oftentimes read Brandon books. And Brandon would sit in the middle of us and we would read a book. And it used to be until, we, you know, before we, before we had Brandon, Jenny was always on the bed with us. And so, you know, once Brandon came, it's like, I'm not going on the bed. That kid's crazy. So, so anyway, she jumped on the bed, and I could tell that she was getting, she was just getting old. And I could tell that, you know, she was, her ears were coming to an end. And she jumped on the bed, and the Lord very, calm, at first I was surprised. I was like shocked, like, what are you doing on the bed? You never come on the bed when the thing is on the bed, you know, <laughs> you know, the noisy thing. And so um, she just, and then she walks over to me, and she puts her nose on me, and I pet her. And very calmly, the Lord says, she's saying goodbye. And I went, no, you know, no, that can't be. I don't want that to happen. No, no, no. And so, anyway, she jumps off the bed. Ruth, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I get emotional just thinking about it. But, you know what, that's the way, you know, God does care about the, our, our feelings towards our pets, doesn't he? So, anyway, anyway, the next morning I woke up, and it was like 6.30 in the morning. Jeff had already gone. He was a very busy guy back then. And just as gently and quiet as can be, the Lord says, she has died. And I went, oh, and I knew in my heart of hearts that she was dead. And so I get up and I go through the house and there she was curled up like she had just fallen asleep. But she had died. And so that, you know, the story is not, you know, so much that she had died, but that God had been so gentle and telling me, because he knows, I, he knew I loved and adored this cat. And so it was just a few months later that Brandon was injured horribly. And we were in an emergency room, and I was hearing things, you know, words like extensive neuro care. You know, for a mom, that just tells you, that just fills your heart with terror. And as I'm sitting there, and my heart's just breaking, I'm pregnant with Austin, so I'm already very emotional. And then the Lord just gently says, didn't I warn you about a cat? Don't you think I would gently tell you if something was wrong with your son? And I went, okay, I remember. And so I always go back to that. You know, when I get really, you know how the Lord will shoot darts into your heart and just put fear and terror into you? Have you ever done that? Moms, your kids are out. Okay, uh, Rhonda. Rhonda, you know what that's like. It's 12 o'clock, your kids are out driving, and suddenly the enemy tells you, your kids have been in a car accident and they're dead. You know, it's like, where did that come from? You know, <laughs> and it scares you, doesn't it? It just fills your heart with terror that you, have, you are afraid something has happened to one of your kids or your husband. You know, that's just what the enemy does. He's a real punk. And so I remember, you know what? If something horrible had happened, God tells me gently, 
I have learned that in the past. The enemy is like a bullhorn filling my heart with terror. And so it's always good to remember the great things that God has done. Amen? So, anyway, that's what they're supposed to do. Put up a memorial of what the Lord has done. And in this case, all they had was rocks. I mean, what else can you get? You know, you're out in the middle of the desert. So they piled up the rocks to remind them of all the great things that God has done. So third step, the Battle of Jericho. And it came to pass. We're looking at Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Notice these are all capitalized. Are you for us or for our adversaries? He was saying, you know, are you with Jericho or are you with me? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Notice, you know, that the commander, all these words are capitalized. What that means when you see that in Scripture is we're talking about God. In this case, we are talking about Jesus himself. This is one of his few appearances in the Old Testament. So um, we have seen this where take off your shoes for where you stand is hallowed ground. That is what God told Moses when he stood before the burning bush, didn't he? Take off your shoes. And so um, Moses took off his shoes, of course, because he wanted to speak to the Lord and the Lord spoke to him. And so in this case, Jesus is the commander of the army. We see Jesus come back again as another commander of an army. And we find that in Revelation 19. And I love this verse. I'm going to try to shorten things up for the sake of time. But it says, And now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Doesn't sound like the past of Jesus we've been reading about, does it? This is a different side of him. He is now done. He is going to go battle the armies of the enemy. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a rope dipped in blood. A rope dipped in blood. What's that going to be? Scarlet, isn't it? And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on, a white, on white horses. Isn't that great for those of us who love horses? I get to ride a horse. You know, but out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierce, fierceness of the wrath and of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. So this is the dude... <laughs> I hate to call, I shouldn't call God dude, but you know, this is the guy that is now standing, it's an endearing phrase, okay, this is the guy standing (laughs) before Joshua and saying, hey, you know, I am on your side, I'm going to go before you. And so chapter 6, now Jericho was securely shut up. 
because of the children. That doesn't mean they were being quiet. They closed the doors. Of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go down around, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And so we all know that story. You know, it's, I love that song, you know, Joshua, about the battle of Jericho. Yeah, I love that. Um, and the walls came a-tumbling down. Kids sang that, you know, and they would get very animated, you know. They would show them marching and marching, and it was a lot of fun. But um, this was serious business here. And I can just imagine what the scene was like. I mean, these, all these soldiers, and if you've ever heard um, armies marching, all you hear is the clump, 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 clump. And they weren't supposed to talk, but they were supposed to walk around Jericho And we're talking probably in excess of a million soldiers here. That had to have been extremely intimidating. Extremely. And they didn't say a word. And so the people in Jericho, I mean, I can just picture them sitting on the wall, all watching. Okay, what are they doing? Why aren't they attacking? And they would watch them go by, all these soldiers, and then they would stop, and then they would camp for the night. The next morning, they'd all do it again. They did this for six days. This would be very confusing, even for... Those of us that were doing the marching, isn't it? Like, okay, what do you, why do we have to do this, God? But you know what? God doesn't have to give us our plans. Um, we don't know, you know, oftentimes exactly what God has, has in store. But he's just saying, just do this step, isn't he? He's just saying, I know the whole plan. I got it. I just need you to do your part. And that's very hard for us. It is really hard for us to do our own part sometimes. We want to do other people's parts too because maybe they're not doing it right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for those of us who have a little OCD, yeah, it's really tough. Uh, but anyway, you know, I can't even do my own part right. You know, so why do I want to do other people's parts? But anyway, um, going back to our scripture, um, I love that God is here going to show them that I'm going to deliver the town of Jericho, the city of Jericho, into your hands. All you have to do is march around the city once a day. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around, stop, yell, and the walls will come down. Now, I've heard some skeptics, and they thought it was, uh, uh, they were, bringing a negative look like, oh, that really couldn't have happened. You've ever heard them talk about uh, the Red Sea and how um, couldn't have done what the Bible said. You know, it was high tide or low tide, you know, and that, that kind of thing with the Red Sea. You've probably heard those arguments, right? Trying to tell people that, no, it didn't really happen. It was a natural occurrence, blah, blah, blah. Well, they've done the same thing with the walls of Jericho. And they say, well... Everybody knows that if you have a, an army of a million guys marching around a city, that's going to loosen the foundations. and All the walls are going to come tumbling down. And I'm going, yeah, but how did they know that? It had, I mean, God knew that because he's wise and he's smart. He knew. So he could have been using natural means in order to bring the walls down. That's not for us to decide. He can do that. He can use his natural means all the time to accomplish his will, doesn't he? And so... Yeah, yeah, and he was using nature. So, you know, they had marched around seven times, and then they yelled. And that yell was all that needed to just crumble the foundation. Everything came down, and the city was delivered. 
And so that was their, um, their last step. But it was really difficult for them to, to see that whole story from the very beginning. It's like, okay, you want us to just march? That's it? You know, we are foot soldiers. That's what God has called us to do. He is the commander. Foot soldiers never know what the real battle plan is. We see that in our own army, you know, in the Army of the United States. We, they don't know. The foot soldiers don't know what's going on, do they? They just say, okay, my commander says to do this, and I will do that. I love this story. There's another uh, place where God did something miraculous as far as um, a, a battle, and that's the story of Gideon. And I love that. They're coming up on this, onto this army, and Gideon's going, ah, you know, this really, may, I mean, we are outnumbered. I think it was like three to one or something like that. And God says, ah, you've got too many guys. And I can just picture what, what Gideon's doing. He's going, what, I've got too many? He goes, yeah, you've got too many. And I love what he says. He says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever's fearful, you don't have to go to war. So all these, you know, about half of them left. And then, so poor Gideon's going, okay, now I'm outnumbered six to one. You know, this doesn't sound very good. God says, you know what? You still got too many. He says, I want you to take them down to a stream, and whoever gets the water and brings the water to their mouths, he says, I want you to grab them. Those that just basically stick their face into the water and don't, you know, continue looking up. In other words, the ones that were bringing the water to their mouth, they were looking, they were watching. Those that were sticking their head in the water, they weren't watching. And so God says, I want only those that bring the water to their mouths to be your soldiers. They are going to go to war. So now poor Gideon's left with 300. And he's going, all righty, 300 against thousands and thousands and thousands. So what had happened during the night? God sent an angel, and the angel completely wiped out the whole army of the enemy. And so that's pretty fascinating, isn't it? So God does that because he doesn't want us to get swollen heads thinking that we're all that, you know, like, I'm cool, you know, look what I did. So God says, I'm going to make it impossible so that you do not take glory for yourself. And so that's important. So um, then wrapping up, we have Joshua 23 at the end of it. And I love this. Um, I think I will I will try to read this. I hope I have enough time here. It says, Now it came to pass, and this is kind of like his requiem, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their leaders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all the Lord your God has done in all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lots these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribe. 
from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it and turn, excuse me, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. Now this is a really strong, strong warning that Joshua is giving the people. Because he knows they had a propensity to say, okay, we will follow you, God, and then they fall back into their sin. And we see this all through Judges, the next book, that after Joshua dies, the people go from, they turned away from God, then God had to punish them, they turned back to God. Then they turned away from God, God had to punish them, they turned back to God. You know, they do this over and over again. Isn't that a great example of what we do? How many times do we do that? God will deliver us. He will, you know, will say, okay, I'm done, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be faithful, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And how many of us go, oh, okay, it's been two weeks and I haven't touched my Bible. Okay, you know, so you confess again. You say, I will try better this time. You know what? We do that. The children of Israel did that. But God knows. He, he created us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows um, that we fail all the time. But I love what Ephesians 21.1 says. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to this course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. And we did, didn't we? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, who is with us, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show his, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any one should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So isn't it amazing that he seems he does all the work, doesn't he? He's the one that changes our hearts. He's the one that protects us. Um, years ago, when the boys were young, I was taking them around the block with, on their little tricycles. I think they were four and six. And we have this little hump on our road. And if you are below it, you know, it's like, it kind of goes like this. So if there's a car coming up and I'm walking up this way, you really can't see the car until it, you know, crests over almost. 
And so, as was the habit, I would walk ahead of them, make sure there was, you know, and I would, you know, you know how we are as moms, you know, we, we have eyes in the back of our head to make sure that they, you know, don't get into trouble. And so I would go to the top of this because I've seen cars come. And as I'm standing there, waiting for the boys to come up, I see this car, and it's going fast, you know, way too fast for a neighborhood. And so I'm, and I'm standing now at the, at the crest, and below me is the boys. And it was a little too steep, and so they're walking their tricycles up. And they're going pretty slow. And I said, there's a car coming, and you get out of the road. Well, you know, what do boys do? Okay, in a minute, Mom, you know. Anyway, that's just what they do. And so they were still there, and this car is bearing down on me. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, what do I do? And she was playing chicken with me. Can you believe that? And she was trying to get me to get out of the road because she didn't want to go around. And I had to stand there because I knew below me were my boys. If she would have gone, you know, if I would have moved, she would have gone over the crest, and boom, she would have been on top of my boys. And so I was like, what choice did I have? I had to stay there. And so I stood my ground, and she went straight for me, and I could, I'll never forget this. You know, the look on my face was, I'm going to die. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. And so at the last minute, she swerved. And then she went down, and I can, I can just, to this day, I wonder what went through her head when below me she saw my two little boys. Like, oh, my gosh, I would have killed them. But you know what? I, said, you know, I thought to myself when I was looking at this uh, scripture, that's what God does for us, doesn't he? He stands there, and he will take the onslaught to protect us down below. It doesn't matter what it takes, even if they, I mean, I'm not saying that I was, I'm, I only did what any mom would do, right? Any mom would do that. And so, um, but that's what God does for us on a regular basis. He protects us. He will take, literally take the bullet for us. You know, he'll take the onslaught of an angry driver. You know, needless to say, I saw her, you know, in, in the years to come, and she was driving a little slower. I think she was a little embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. She was, <laughs> yeah, she avoided me like the plague because, yeah, I'm just going, that took a lot of nerve. You don't play chicken with the car. But she wanted me to step out of her, or get out of her way. And I go, I can't. I can't. I have to stay here because my boys are right below me and you're going to hit them. You know, but that's what God does for us. He goes, I will stand here. I will take it. I am the one that's going to protect you. And we need to remember that. He is our mom, you know, that mama bear. And he will always do that. I love what Jesus prayed in John 17:9. It says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Don't you love that? So who is it that protects us now? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what an amazing story you've given us in Joshua. Lord, I want to feel your protection. I want to feel your presence that uh, I would never be dismayed and I would be of good courage. And I ask that as each one of the ladies here contemplates this story, Lord, that they really um, apply it to their lives, Lord, that they're able to trust in you for all things, no matter what is going on, even when they don't understand. And so help them to meditate today on your word. And as we divide up into our groups, Lord, just uh, further um, 
enhance the message, Lord, so that they can truly grasp it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.